Before we begin today's episode, we have our patrons over at Patreon. They are Aperba, Nate Hansen of Hansen Screen Printing, Rock the Green, Andy Herbrandt, Lauren L., Paul Campaneshi, Kelby Goodman, Greg Wallen, Zach Duran, Daniel and Cara Lighting. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on and supporting us here over at the Drunken History Podcast, baby. Hey, welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, culture, and beer. Although we don't often use strong language, the content is not intended for young audiences, so listener discretion is advised. If you love the bluegrass music you hear in this intro, please check out Dang It's from Madison, Wisconsin by visiting their website, dang-its.com. Now on to the show. All right, and welcome to another episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast, your weekly dose of the dairy state. We, of course, are your hosts as always. I'm Eric. And I'm Russ. And today we have a fine, fine episode for you. Uh, A little brutal at times, possibly. Yeah, um, I, I I mean, there's some of the events that some of these uh, things went through, I guess. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Manitowoc shipbuilding and uh, all the different uh, items that, uh, well, first of all, a little br- brief history on, on what, what the Manitowoc shipbuilding company is, as well as uh, kind of the different items that they made and kind of where they were used and utilized and, and where they sort of uh, kind of got a name, if you will. Yeah, I mean... I mean Manitowoc shipbuilding has been huge for right. years, and you know it, it, it is. It's got a long, uh, or it's got a deep history. I will say. Uh, I don't know if it's super long, but it's um, it's back there, and it's important. So uh, we felt it necessary to uh, discuss it and uh, and give it its due diligence here in the state of Wisconsin, since it's very important. So we also have great music today. From Rainer Maria. Oh yeah, and good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, Russ and I have uh, have gone through the catalog. We've listened to a bunch of different uh, songs that they have to offer, and we are proud to be able to feature this uh, on today's show as well. So uh, we have another beer review, of because that's we what we do. do, and of course another infamous "How Many Locals You Had" segment. So. That's definitely something that we're going to jump into a little bit later on in the show. Um, as always, the little pitch here, if you could, please go on, give us a review on whatever podcast site you listen to this, uh, as well as uh, you know, give us that five-star rating and all that jazz. Um, go to our website, wisconsindrunkenhistory.com. It's where you can find basically links to everything that we have out there. So our social medias, Facebook and Instagram, there's links to those right at the bottom of the page. It'll take you right there, uh, as well as links to our Patreon, which is where you can physically uh, promote and, and sponsor this show. Uh, at the top of the show, you might have heard us mention those individuals. They are patrons. They are the people that, that kind of keep the lights on here, help pay for the beer that we review and the, uh, the audio that we provide for you uh, in terms of music. And uh, we really appreciate everything that uh, that all of you can do for us. And uh, we also have a link to T public, as we mentioned on uh, last week's episode, uh, we do have some other things in the works 
and uh, there are going to be some some links and stuff that we post here soon uh, as far as uh, that goes. Uh, and uh, very limited time kind of merchandise. So we're very excited about that. Without further ado, why don't we uh, why don't we talk a little bit about the Manitowoc shipbuilding, Russ? I know that uh, that you probably know a little bit more about uh, some of the, the stuff, and you've probably done a little bit of reading as far as this goes. But uh, the the Manitowoc Shipbuilding Company, yeah, that was located in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Yep, of course. And it was a major shipbuilder for the Great Lakes area, right? Yeah. And 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 so many different shipbuilding uh, uh, companies existed, uh, and and ship uh, repair stuff was was you know right on the Great Lakes there because obviously that's a main thoroughfare in in shipping and receiving all of these different uh, materials. Yeah, uh, and you get the steel Saint, and everything was was shipped through there. Yeah, and, and you get the St. Lawrence Waterway, which leads right into the Atlantic there. So a lot of things can be transported through the Great Lakes up through the St. Lawrence Waterway. Uh, probably one of their bigger, probably more famous one were the uh, LCTs, which yeah. are the um, tank landing crafts, which you might have seen in Saving Prior Ryan when they land on the beach of Normandy there. And Pretty storm intense it. shit. It's an intense battle, but those ships, yeah. uh, many of them were produced at the uh, Manitowoc Shipbuilding Company, which yeah. we're going to talk about a little bit here today. Yeah, uh, so it was founded in 1902, and it made mainly steel ferries and ore haulers. It's kind of what I was just alluding to before. Um a lot of those uh, materials required a a huge way of, of you know uh, uh, getting you know these big bulk heavy items around the United States, um, other than just uh, train you know by going locomotive. Well, to get it you know faster and to get it to certain areas, uh, going by water by way of you know cargo ship was the big thing. So they produced a lot of these steel ferries and, and ore haulers. Uh, in in their in their existence, and uh, obviously during World War II, uh, it also built some submarines, which you know I was surprised to hear because I thought that that would maybe be a little bit more of a, a specialized craft. Uh, the fact that it needs to be pressurized and and it goes below the water surface and everything, uh, just thought that it would be a little bit more difficult for someone that's just building above water, you know, kind of um, boats and stuff, but. Uh, they did produce some submarines, uh, as well as, like Russ just mentioned, the tank landing crafts, which is the LCTs, um, and then also some self-propelled fuel barges called Yo's. Yo. Yo. Yo, dog. Yolo. Yo. Yo-yo. Yo-yo's, dude. Yo. <laughs> um, the employment peaked, actually, during the military years um, at about 7,000 employees, which is uh, which is massive for... Uh, not only this time, but also for uh, companies around the state of Wisconsin. I mean, this is a, a massive operation, uh, if you can really kind of put it into um, into terms. I mean, that's... Yeah, 7,000 people is a huge employee. Right, so. and these ships are massive, man. Like, uh, maybe not, you know... Think of cruise ships, I, I suppose, as, as being something that I, can, I guess all of us can maybe relate to. Um, I drive past... I drive over the Hone Bridge every day to go to work. So I see a lot of really large ships all the time that come through onto the, the lakefront area. But for for you know everybody, it's not something that they've seen before, but maybe a cruise ship is something they can relate it to. Massive, yeah, massive works of, of steel 
and welding and, and all of these. I mean, it's it just the amount of stuff that goes into it. 7,000 people. And, uh, of course, during military years, uh, employment does peak on stuff like yeah. that because if you can't fight in the war, war efforts yeah, you, are huge. You support the war effort from home. Exactly. And, you know, that's something that uh, that that happens, you know, no matter what, whether that's building uh, arms and, and uh, uh, artillery and, and things like that or, you know, creating rations for, for, you know, to send over or shipbuilding and stuff like that for carriers and things. And, um, the shipyard actually closed in 1968, uh, when the Manitowoc company bought, uh, uh, Bay shipbuilding company, and they actually moved all the shipbuilding operations to Sturgeon Bay. Probably which, a more tactile right. area to, to launch from. So. Right. Cause Manitowoc is down, you know, the coast a little bit, but, uh, but still you Sturgeon Bay kind of really juts out there and, and is, uh, Probably, like you said, maybe just better for, for that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? So um, going into something that we that we kind of both didn't really know a whole lot about, because um, we'll touch on the World War II um, tank landing crafts and stuff like that. But but the shipbuilding uh, program um, that they that they actually did, uh, the submarines rather, um, was was pretty intense. Um, yeah, they actually didn't know what they were doing in the beginning. Right. Which is so, crazy. It's more of an R&D project. Right. So this is closer to like 1939, uh, 1940 area. Um, Manitowoc uh, uh, began to sort of experiment, I suppose, uh, and, and they gained a contract to supply the Navy with uh, submarines um, instead, you know. And, and so you've got... Um, the the Illinois River, uh, the uh, Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal, the Chicago River, we're all trying to transport stuff, you know, through there. And, and um, there there was actually a, a floating dry dock towed uh, by a, a tugboat in Minnesota and things. And after evaluating the plan and surveying the shipyard, the Navy suggested that building submarines would, would be probably a little bit better, you know. Um, so a contract for 10 submarines was actually awarded um, on the 9th of September, 1940 and the Navy paid for lift machinery on Chicago's Western Avenue, uh, the railroad bridge to clear the submarines, um, the 15 foot draft submarines, um, entered the floating dry dock on the Illinois river to get through the nine foot deep chain of rocks, uh, channel, uh, near the confluence of the Mississippi and Missouri rivers, uh, submarines left the dry dock at new Orleans and um, reinstalled periscope shears, periscopes, and radar masts, uh, which had had been removed to clear bridges and stuff. So yeah, all I mean, of the stuff that extends, foot under, you're only nine foot under the water, which right. isn't very far under the water. Right. So anything that basically extended over the top of the submarine, I don't know if it's a hull or what do you call it on a submarine if the whole thing is underwater. I don't know. Um, but anything that that goes atop that uh, periscope stuff and radar stuff, uh, that all had to be removed and then reinstalled. Um, Matatwak had never built submarines before, which is crazy. Like they, right. never, this is like an R and D project and who knows if it even failed. Like they said well, they could do it. You and know? it's such a big issue if it does. I mean, again, these are fully submersible crafts. So, uh, the fact that they have to be literally airtight is crazy. Uh, and to jump in sort of, uh, head first and, and create these, uh, without having any prior experience, that's pretty wild. So, um, but the first one was actually completed 228 days before the contracted delivery date. So um, contracts were awarded for additional submarines, and the last submarine was completed by the date scheduled uh, for the 10th submarine of the original contract. So again, 
Um, the, the, the contract was met. They delivered all 10 submarines. Um, total production of 28 uh, submarines was completed for around or $5,200,000, something like that. 5.2 mil, um, less than the actual contract price. So they price. made a bank yeah. on this deal. Which is great, you know. Um, you can do it for under cost that you initially wanted. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, they were, they were um, how do I say, proficient. Uh, they were efficient in their manufacturing and and uh, were somehow uh, under that, that budget, that 5.2 mil uh, less than contract price. So they basically just uh, make that as a net profit on that. So um, there's uh, the SS-361 through the SS-364 were initially ordered as Baloo class. Is that? Balau. Balau. Balau class. Um, and were assigned whole numbers uh, that fall in the uh, in the middle of the range of numbers for the Blau class, uh, which was uh, SS-285 through SS-416 and SS-425-426. Um, thus, in, in some references, they are listed with that class. So um, some of these uh, initially ordered items were just sort of in the middle, but those were the, like the first ones built, you know. Um, however, they were completed by Manitowoc as what is that? Gatos. 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 Uh, due to an unavoidable delay in electric boats, uh, development of the Balau class drawings. So, yeah. Hey, we were waiting on engineers. Yeah, pretty much. Could you get your shit together, man? I know. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't imagine like having to draft this many parts, especially back then when you had to hand draft everything. It's just unreal. And it's when, it, when it's something the you don't even know. number of parts is unreal. So, you know. But just really cool that the submarines were actually built here, and this is like early uh, World War II, obviously to 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 boost up our naval fleet. Right, and that's that's the thing that uh, that kind of brings the most curiosity to me is that uh, this was all done just in order to support the the war efforts. That, yeah, and honestly, like even when these contracts originally started, uh, the U.S. hadn't entered World War II yet. Not yet. So we were just boosting our Navy. Up. Yeah, we're gearing up because we probably thought we'd have to get involved. I feel like there there was that inevitability of uh, um, of of being entered into this somehow. Uh, obviously, before we knew it, um, there was uh, there just, was and there. Were, I mean, besides that, I mean, there was just a ton of legendary ships that sunk a ton of the Japanese ships in the Pacific theater specifically. Yeah, just unreal amounts. Yeah, and and again, you know, the there there was one. Uh, um, I think what was it? Uh, USS Rasher uh, sunk eighteen ships in eight World War Two uh, Pacific patrols. So, um, which is, I guess, the second highest tonnage sunk by a U.S. submarine uh, during the war. So, think of that. That uh, a ship produced right there in Manitowoc with uh, all Wisconsin hands on deck there, um, sinking literally 18 ships, which is the second highest tonnage um, sunk in, in of, all uh, time. of all time. Yeah, like, it's pretty I, crazy. Which is pretty great. And like you said, a lot of that Pacific uh, patrols, uh, really a lot of those came out of the Manitowoc fleets that were that were created. Um, just an, an amazing feat. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's, I don't know, almost humbling to think that, uh, you know, obviously they didn't, the, the 7,000 ship manufacturers, they didn't fight in the war. Let's, let's say that, but you know, they, they certainly had, uh, a large role played a massive critical role 
in making sure that the individuals out there on the seas and on the front lines um, had everything they needed. Because not only are these tank carriers, but they're also people carriers. They 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 had you know many of soldiers aboard that would then have to go out. I'm sure they carried plenty of uh, rounds of ammunition or you know new uh, weaponry and stuff. So it's not just um, you know these people you know creating uh, uh, you know submarines to to be able to go down and, and actually sink boats, but it's also just the complete war effort uh, that For was sure. that was a part of this whole thing. And it's so, cool that they've been in operation since 1902. So we're talking a whole bunch of other things too. I mean, obviously like river barges back probably way back in the day, river barges and ore carriers where they're carrying iron ore from the North woods back down to Chicago to be manufactured in the goods. Or even Just getting incredible. stuff over by, you know, uh, Pittsburgh and, and, and all that stuff, steel city, mm-hmm. you know, um, all that stuff was, was, um, you know, raw material out of, you know, the steel city, but then it had to be freighted somewhere, you know, and and a lot of those things were brought by locomotive uh, up to shipyards that could then ship those, uh, like we said, throughout the Great Lakes. Um, and then also then uh, once it once it reached, you know, Wisconsin, then it had to get somewhere else then, too. So back down through locomotives down to the south and every I mean, it's just crazy to think the amount of. Uh, the amount of uh, importance that were that were placed on these ships, um, and and USS Ray uh, sank fourteen ships, uh, and it was on eight World War II Pacific patrols. I mean, just amazing. Uh, yeah, you definitely uh, got to check out the list of all. Of it, it's so, yeah, exactly. It's just so incredible. If if you get a chance, even if you just Google Manitowoc shipbuilding, um, you're going to see uh, some of the incredible stats. Uh, you know that. I mean, we sound like we're talking about sports here. Where we're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he sunk, you know, 14 threes in a game, you know, or he hit a hole in one or some shit. And we're like, yeah, he killed a lot of people. Here Pro- comes a I USS mean, Rock coming around the corner. Here he comes seven sunk <laughs> ships. Here you go. Exactly. Here comes a USS Redfin. Five ships down. Here we go. Seven World War II Pacific patrols. Nice job, USS Redfin. Um, so we sound like a bunch of... Uh, sportscasters here but um the lcts the landing craft tanks those are the things that russ and i were kind of talking about uh towards the beginning of the episode kind of just briefly but um you mentioned what saving private ryan yeah i mean Um, the the majority of these like lcts are actually used in the invasion of normandy which is probably the main entrance into the european front i was just gonna say i mean that was literally like the if you could if you could advance onto the beaches of normandy and infiltrate past those front lines and somehow take out some of those bunkers that existed back there. Um, that was going to be a critical part. And, and I think everybody knows that from history, that that is something that, uh, you know, is, is spoken about and, and talked about very often. And um, the scene in which we're talking about with saving private Ryan, I mean, is basically like, within the first few minutes of the whole fucking movie. Yeah. And it is intense. I mean, so many individuals, the minute that those LCTs reached any part of that first, what, 10, 15 feet of shoreline, they would drop that front gate and it was all hell. I mean, everything broke loose at that moment. And so, you know, you had not only tanks trying to rush off, 
You had people throwing themselves over the side to get into the water. You had people running through on the front, trying not to get hammered by tank, you know, but you know, you're trying to avoid all that. And, and, and all the time you got enemy fire coming directly at you. And Normandy was so strategic for the, um, the allied forces, obviously, because you got right across the English channel. It's like your closest, smallest portion to cross from Britain. So a lot of American troops would be stationed. And because Normandy was on the Northern coast, right across the English channel, it was yeah. like the best place to storm, but at the same time it was like the most heavily fortified. So we lost right. a lot of people during that battle. Yeah. Um, oh man. Um, just, just, thinking about the scene there and then uh just knowing too that uh that that only depicted so much of of the tragedy uh that it was obviously a victory um but yet still uh, extremely uh filled with casualties uh and and i think it's gary sinise does a pretty awesome uh he, he narrates uh, a really awesome uh, documentary that I think you can still find on Netflix, but I think it's called like World War II in Color. Man, I tell you, some of the interviews that they have with some of those individuals from the front lines, I mean, extremely insightful, but very like sad at the same time. Um, victorious because they're still alive, but the stories they have to tell, um, uh, are definitely really like just just intense and um it's it just it, it, it to know that you know manitowoc shipbuilding created these uh these craft carriers and 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 tank barges and things that that brought all of these individuals and brought all that artillery and those um, big pieces of machinery and weaponry uh to support that uh, that effort not only on normandy but the the entire thing but uh it's just it's just crazy to think and, and obviously um they were also a part for world war one uh world war one and post-war support uh manitowoc shipbuilding uh built cargo ships from 1917 to 1920 um the ships were like 2124 to 2711 dwt um most of these ships were named after lakes um the ss Coquina, yeah, it's the Coquina and the Cynthia Olson. The Cynthia Olson, uh, those were uh, the Cynthia Olson um, was the that was what was renamed from the Coquina, and and it was actually sunk by a Japanese uh, submarine. Uh, what is it? I twenty six. Yep. Um, that was on December seventh, nineteen forty one. So, um, very very crazy stuff, and 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 again. There was a lot of different ships. SS Alabama, that was one of the ones that was um, very notable, part of World War I. Uh, USS Surveyor, uh, USS Stratford. Um, what is that? The uh, SS Indrica or in- Indigrica. Uh, and and uh, uh, the SS City of Milwaukee, um, which was, uh, you know, something that was named right after a city right here in, in yeah, Wisconsin. Pretty obvious on that one. But. Um, but you know they also built uh, scows, which are small boats, tugboats, which are also uh, t- uh, small boats that that help guide ships in and out of uh, ports and stuff. Barges, uh, different ferries, and different patrol boats uh, for the Coast Guard, and um, even the presidential yacht was uh, once produced by Manitowoc Shipbuilding. Pretty incredible, which is pretty wild. Um, fucking presidential yacht, man. 
think of that. We had cost headphones uh, was on the Air Force One. That was the headphone that you know, like Nixon was listening to. Not maybe not the greatest president to say, but whatever. Um, amazing stuff, man. Yeah, Just for sure. Really cool to think that we had you know so much uh, so much to do with uh, not only the the you know political side of things, but also the the military side of things, and then um, a lot of post World War II efforts. Uh, you know before. Uh, what they would continue to make that they right. were already making, obviously like uh, ships, barges, and dredges, yep. like kind of like all your the standard, same kind of stuff. Yeah, your standard stuff here. So yeah, but again, you know, looking back, here we are, uh, you know, so many years later, and we're talking about, you know, this stuff is the things that we're learning about in history books and things. But um, back in you know 1920 through 1940. Uh, that was real life for, you know, nearly 7,000 employees throughout that entire time, you know, to build these things, uh, and to know that they had, um, such a, a serious, uh, uh, hand in, in the, in that war effort. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, pretty amazing that right off of our great lakes, many of these ships that took out a lot of the world war two, uh, fighters, were produced right in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, which I always find incredible. I thought this was an awesome one to cover. And That's one of those things I'm that I'm glad I think, we did. I think that I find myself, it's a Sunday morning, let's say. Um, I'm not hanging out with you. I'm just upstairs in my house drinking a cup of coffee, possibly having a Pop-Tart or something. Um, I throw on, you know, a, a World War II documentary or World War One or something to do with D-Day or Normandy and it's 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 insightful I, I like to gain that knowledge I think um, you know recently we, we had talked with uh, Christian Bry uh, at Asgos Wisconsin about how do we gain the information how do we do our research Russ you open up books a lot usually it's you're books a very library you're a very studious person in that way you can accept that knowledge into your brain as you scan pages and for me it's just not that way for me it is all documentaries I can soak that information in as long as there's something visually happening as well and for me all that I've soaked in about our our United States you know past wars is incredible uh, through the the old photo capturing and video capturing of uh, of the earliest stuff. I mean, think about the fact that back in even 1930, there are video cameras and there are footage, uh, there are footage reels that exist of of these wartime efforts and on the front line, and you can actually view real time stuff that happened, you know, back then when when they were storming the beaches of Normandy. Yeah, That's crazy. Like yeah, I mean, somebody's somebody's job in the military was to hold a fucking camera. Yeah, for sure. And then like you see like Ken Burns and stuff who does like oh, the, amazing just stuff. amazing like colorations of World War Two and you know, just somebody that's willing to take the time to actually color all that old film to get technicolor basically. It's well and, incredible. And, and that technology in itself is crazy because you're basically you look at the depth of the of black or the depth of the white on the screen from that color or from that uh, black and white reel the depth 
of that hue is what tells us what color that is. So you essentially take a color reel and you make it black and white. And then you analyze that and you say that, well, this was a red shirt. So anything that's around this uh, intensity or this color, black or gray, that is red. Yeah. And then they just basically computerize and digitally enhance these things. And like you said, Ken Burns is obviously the the huge name that, that yeah. does this shit. But like so many individuals. Converting uh, monochrome into colors. Right. And, and so thankful for that because like I said, those documentaries, the, the one that I, I know of for sure, like I said, is Gary Sinise doing the, uh, the, the narrating for World War II in color. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I almost feel like in schools they should just put on that documentary for like a month. And that's what these kids learn about World War II. I didn't get shit from the books that we got. And those are, how much do you think each one of those books was? I mean, just going based off of our, our college experience. Probably a couple hundred bucks a piece. Yeah, a couple hundred dollars a piece. And those books are basically just trash after like two two years yeah, and then they come out crazy. with another, they come out with the next version or of it. Or maybe they switch chapters around or something. That's, That's all, all they do. They do. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, we've got this amazing piece that was put together in film uh, that you could have at no cost. You just have to have like a Netflix subscription, which you could steal from anybody at this point, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, like, I'm a, like, my an Ma's. I'm using like an axe. Like an axe or a yeah, mom yeah. or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. We've I've definitely somebody have, you met once and, and had a Netflix. They logged and chill in day while with, you were freaking chilling and then you just never yep. signed out and keep using it. And so. you may have watched, you know, uh Shallow Hal for like ten minutes and then you got busy. Yeah, and then you, you just to, never to, logged out. Now you got it forever. Went to Pump Town. <laughs> <laughs> went to the old PT, bro. Yeah, the old Pump Town, baby. Um, but yeah, incredible. Uh, if you it's, get a it's chance. It's cool that it was created, like a lot of these LCTs were created right in Manitowoc. And I've always found that fascinating. I wanted to cover this, and I'm glad And they're we did. so intense. I know. Um, you and, see and them then, with their diesel motors just flowing the shore straight oh. on, and then they just drop, and then just immediate machine gun fire. It's just immediate. As soon as that front gate just falls oh, into the water, splashes like a wall of ten, ten foot of 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 of, of a wave, and then all of a sudden there's just just instant, you know. Uh, barrage of of shells and it's hard and to believe what those people went through. Like you can't even imagine it in your own head. I can't. It's just so stressful. Any like, of the any of the military uh, men and women that that I know in my life uh, don't. I don't. I don't fully understand exactly what they went through. Um, and and that might be uh, you know my grandma or my my grandparents that that went through World War Two and and uh, and and other things. And my parents in Vietnam. Um, and uh, cousins that that went through uh, the, the war in the Middle East. I mean, I can't, I can't fully understand what it is that they saw. Um, but sometimes these these images in these uh, documentaries give me a little bit better understanding. And then just to put it into perspective, that some of those things that you're seeing in those those now new color films uh, were were actually produced right here in Wisconsin, and that. And that each state really had an impact, whether it was building ships or, like we said, cutting back and uh, uh, rationing for 
military wartime efforts. You know, we've talked about it, I think, on another episode before where, um, pantyhose right. for parachutes yep. and shit like that. Yeah, it's it's just incredible. We've talked about how it, it literally became this like it it so severely impacted even life within the United States, a war that was all the way over in Europe. For sure. I mean I mean Rosie the Riveter, which is like the propaganda for getting women involved as well. Yeah. Because you know? we needed every single hand available to produce all of these items. And it was more so we need to get this done so we can ship it over to our men and women, not anything to do with <laughs> yeah, we need right. to ship this off to Walmart so that way fucking Gary and Dick can fucking buy it um, in order to <laughs> yeah, get yeah. Fruit Loops or whatever. It was it's insane, uh, and and it makes you makes you really really grateful, uh, and and hopefully we can continue to stay not. Uh, in war <laughs> yeah um we'll see with russia good luck but. it continues to be a a wild show yeah but yeah that's going to conclude our main segment and uh thank you eric for uh, presenting that i think it was really fascinating I, i'm glad we finally got a chance to do it all right on to our music segment we've got a fantastic wisconsin originated band yeah they actually originated in wisconsin and uh currently i'm not 100 percent sure i know they're still doing music but they're out of brooklyn was uh brooklyn new york yeah there's a brooklyn, wisconsin. Wisconsin. there's a brooklyn wisconsin very small town very, yeah very tiny. it's outside of uh janesville there by a little bit but yeah and so uh the band's name is rainer maria i'm guessing they're paying homage to the uh, german language poet if you will, um, Rainer Maria, I think it's Relke, uh, if you will. And I remember studying some of his uh, music or uh, poetry and uh, literature in, in college. So I'm guessing they're paying homage to um, Rainer Maria himself. Um, but yeah, they were formed in uh, 90, 1995 and they went all the way to 2006 and they reunited in 2014. Um, they kind of have that American emo indie soundtrack wouldn't you say with the female vocals going on yeah and i think you know when i think about some of their earlier material um i'm getting kind of that like what is it uh uh not necessarily like collective soul vibe but like early early versions of uh like, like post grunge yeah like alternative yeah i would say yeah. i mean like early 95 like alternative weaving the grunge like, into the like you said alternative and then kind of more the modern era exactly. that we're in today. And which, then they sort of take a little bit of a turn once they hit the 2000s era. And then that's when they kind of become a little bit more of what we're going to show you today. And I mean, me and Eric kind of went through the catalog. This was kind of the one that stuck with us was Ears Ring. It's yeah. called. It's just a great song. And, you know, it's it's always hard. Like we have to feature one song from a band in our thing so right. you got to go through a whole god darn catalog and like look for this one song that you want to feature that like kind of show that you feel like you're, you're 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 missing out on something if you if you go this route instead of this one and so you it's give and take you know we we found this one we thought it sounded great and then anything after that was just kind of like oh man should we have done this one should we have yeah. done that one and i think we kind of both settled on ears ring which yeah. i think i think showcases her talent in the music itself I think they do a really good job with the genre. I mean, this is kind of like the music I love. I mean, there's just you can't go wrong. I mean, it's like that post-punk indie. I like the yeah, it's the loud guitar it's the loud distortion. Over, exactly the overdriven distorted guitar, um, loud drums. I mean, big big distorted bass even. You know, which you don't get a whole lot in today's music. You know, yeah, for so. sure. But yeah, without further ado, we have Rainer Maria. 
ears ring. Again, that was Rainer Maria. That's uh, um, amazing music, and you should definitely be uh, inclined to check out a little bit more of what they have to offer because I, I feel like, well, that one was something that Russ and I enjoyed 
um, your ears might have a different uh, palette and and might require something else. But they are incredible musicians, and she is an incredible vocalist. And uh, yeah, Rainer Maria. What, Check what them out. More? Yeah, I mean, for us, we spent so much money on these like albums and stuff, and this music. It's just unreal. Yeah, I yeah, mean, to be have... honest with you, we are so far in debt. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Though. I had it's to all, uh, take out a second mortgage to get music. I just sell the girl to get a couple beers. I had to sell shit. my kids. Um, I just sell the kids. <laughs> the kids. Um, <laughs> the kids are sleeping. Um, the kids are sleeping. But now we have a beverage review. And, yeah, uh, what, we actually found this one, another one at Sendix, actually. Yeah. We got a six-pack mix and match. This one stood out to me. What about you, Eric? I mean, Oh, yeah. I thought... I like the... I like the, the the whole vibe on the can. Yeah, know? for sure. It's called Juice Cloud by Lion's Tail. Um, it's a New England IPA. And uh, the Lion's Tail is an award-winning 10-barrel electric brewery and tap room in downtown Nina, Wisconsin. Shout-outs to Nina, Wisconsin, Nina yeah. Foundry. We featured that. We love that place. It's just so cool that all your sewer grates produce right where this beer is produced. Yeah, just look down. You'll see it. And it's just a really good beer. It's well-balanced. Um, it's kind of that... You know, they make a lot of different things too, and it's like kind of one of those really well balanced beers. Um, obviously, local sort stuff, small batch stuff, right from Lion's Tail and Nina. I mean, Eric, what do you think initially of the can and the beer itself? I mean, we got six point three percent ABV, kind of a higher on the ABV, but also in the IPA range. Yeah, so like you said, six point three, definitely in that IPA range. Um, typically, New England's. Uh, I, I like them enough, but they're not my favorite. Um, India Pale Ales definitely I I like a little better. The art on the can, uh, I like cool. I like the fact that there's that like lion in the background that almost looks like it would be on a uh, like a heritage flag or whatever they call those. Yeah, like a um, heraldry. Yeah, like a shield or something. Yep, like. exactly. And then the fact that Juice Cloud is um, very prominent on the can, uh, obviously a big white cloud, and then. This really nice orange font. I don't even know what kind of font that is, but it looks great. Uh, the the blue on the background is absolutely stunning. Uh, like you said, it just kind of grabs your attention immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, for me... Smell-wise, it smells like an IPA to me. Yeah, and if you look at it, it has like a little bit of that New England haze to it, so it has a little bit of the hazy IPA to it. Um, basically, we poured it into a glass kind of to check the color. Yeah. Um, definitely is the carbonation. I mean, the carbonation is there. Um, has... A very, you know, for IPA and a New England IPA, it has a little bit more maltiness than it's I was tame. expecting. Yeah, tame on the on the hop, definitely more on that malt uh, side. And it uh, it it's when I say tame, I don't mean that it's like not bitter. It's coming through. It's still it's the not, bitterness is still there. It's just not the the prominent first note that almost you get. that dank kind of right like, marijuana almost smell to it right when you like open them like whoa yeah when you when you first open you know most ipas you're like oh god that's a hit to the nostrils this doesn't necessarily strike you uh but it is delicious and i really enjoy uh now that i've actually taken a few sips i really enjoy it um, it's very malty new definitely. england's again aren't typically something that i i super enjoy uh Normally, just the regular IPAs, 
Some doubles. I, I like to dabble in the double every once in a while. Get a little freaky. Uh, a little but wild. A little wild. Get on the wild side, wild child, wild card. I but like the APAs too, those American Pale Ales. American Pale Ales are, are great too, they're for, little more, for the most part. They're a little more malty. You kind of get a little bit more of that. But yeah, I mean, for me, I'm definitely getting hops. There's definitely hops, so don't let me like fool you. But it's like it's a like behind the maltiness. The thing. Yeah, it's like more of the maltiness coming up front. And it has like that malty foam breadiness to it. Which I actually really like. I do love this beer. Yeah, and it is. Um, it's it's got a good juice hop characteristic. I I like again. I think uh, the fact that it doesn't attack you right out the gate. Um, it's not. It's not ripping you off right at the you know gates of Normandy. You know, it's it is delicious, but it's it's uh, enjoyable. You know, some some IPAs are just so ridiculous that they're not even enjoyable. I was like, I could not believe the selection Sendix had for like when it comes to craft beer. And even if you want to get like singles or, you know, they had like quite a collection of things I've never even seen. Yeah, Which exactly. I thought was pretty awesome with Sendix and obviously just a really cool place. I've actually never been in a Sendix. Dude. That was my first time. You got to get in there. I, we don't have them by us. So I know. Like it's like when I was in there, it's like, wow, this is like a new experience for grocery shopping for me. Just like so, I had never been to Schnucks. You've never been to Schnucks or Logley's? I did. Logley's? I, did do to, I, I went to Schnucks now, but it, but that was back when you lived in Janesville. Yeah, or there was like, it used to be called Logley's, which is like the original Never name. knew that. Yeah, it was originally Logley's and then it changed to Schnucks. But yeah, I mean, it's just really cool. Make sure you check this one out. Again, this is the uh, Lion's Tail New Lion's England IPA. Tail. Nina. From Nina, Wisconsin too. Small batch brewery. Just incredible. You can tell it's crafted. You can tell the love and care was taken on this. Be sure to check it out. Grab a seat, gather around, join us for a chat. How many logos you have? All right, folks, you know what that means. And uh, today we got a pretty good one for under uh, <laughs> how many logos we're talking about. This one is definitely fast in the liquor. Liquorish. 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 <laughs> Um. Yeah. So this one has got Vin Diesel written all over this it, bro. Is the Deese. Somebody was doing straight Diesel. <laughs> Wisconsin man was clocked at 104 miles per hour, arrested for drunk driving for sixth time. The number six, dude. The nice old Sace dog. Um. This was up in Washara County. A 44 year old man uh, was clocked at 104 miles per hour, and he's now facing. His sixth drunk driving charge. This man was arrested on Tuesday evening after the Wisconsin State Patrol clocked him driving his blue sedan at 104 miles per hour outside of Auroraville. Uh, And let's just say that is not the fastest this guy has probably ever gone. To be honest, it's probably like maxed out on that little car though. It's a well, little sedan. Yeah, they did so it's say probably blue max. Sedan. It's probably max. He was probably, you know, clipping. He's man. probably like straight down. He might have been passed out his foot's pedaled to the metal. Just, just, just dimed out, dog. Um after the man was pulled over, the trooper noticed signs of impairment and conducted a field sobriety test. Uh the man was uh, arrested for OWI and battery to a law enforcement so he officer. Fought back. So. He did a he little bit of. He fought the law, but the law won. Yeah, he fought the law, and the law definitely fucked him. He got clashed, bro. He got, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he got clashed. Um, he was also cited for speeding, of course, uh, 104 miles per hour. Yeah. Uh, you can't leave that aside. We don't have a lot of information here. 
Um, we do have a 44-year-old man. He's obviously driving 104 miles per hour, yeah. drunk as shit. <laughs> He's fucked. He's fucked up. And he like fought a cop. So, I mean, there's definitely liquor in the system here. You know. Poor decisions. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Like, so he had five other ones. He's definitely has some experience. 104 miles per hour, like in, uh, especially in Washara County, which is, we're talking central Wisconsin here. Yeah. The cops are looking. They're waiting for you. They're looking for fibs, too. And it was State Patrol. The guy. I know. Like, that's why he's done. I mean, when State Patrol gets you, you're pretty much done. Yeah. I mean, if you they're see gonna... the boys with those top hats, yeah. kiss your ass <laughs> goodbye, it. bud. They are going to top hat mount, and they are going to fucking come over to you, beat your ass, <laughs> and and throw the book at you, which is precisely what I'm imagining happened here. This only happened just a, a few weeks ago, so he's only we forty-four don't have... too. I mean, he's not like that old, and he has like six six of them. I know, so I'm saying like he's probably a back-to-backer. Maybe maybe there's a little bit of space in between them. He's, yeah, know? he's got he's, he only spaces them out a little bit. You know, he just you know wants to really get in there. But that's a lot of OWIs. Well, and let's let's discover the fact that you know this is felony territory. Yeah, uh, for big sure. Time. This, is, this is Prizo. The the fact that. He has the opportunity to get six of them without being in prison. You know, he's forty-four, like you said. So let's just imagine what we're talking about here. He's forty-four. Typically, as of like I don't know, twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen, something like that. Number four was considered felony offense. Mm-hmm. That means that he probably got his fourth. I would imagine he got that fourth and fifth probably before. The 2015 range, let's say. So he's gotten now this sixth one in 2022. So this is now going to be considered his like first felony, I guess, drunk driving. The fact that it's his sixth and it's his first felony, I feel like they're going to toss it at him. You think he's going to go down? I think he's going to go down hard. Yeah, I don't think he stands a chance. I mean, he can lawyer up all he wants, but really all he's doing is throwing away heaps of money. I mean... At this point, you don't have you don't stand a chance. Like there's no there's no remorse. I feel like the judge is going to look at you and just be like, and the DA first. The DA is going to you know look to press big, and then you know the judge is obviously going to enforce that. I think. Um, I don't know. We don't we 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 looked up. We don't have exact information on this. I think the you know with, with what we have is pretty low. Yeah, with I mean, COVID. With COVID going on, a lot of these OWI cases are stretching uh, into like a year before they're actually prosecuted and and uh, found guilty of any certain thing and, and, and sentenced. So we don't have everything yet, but what we do have is poor decisions. We've got a, a person who decides to drink and drive. Poor decision number one. Poor decision number two, drive 104 miles an hour on, on the highway. Yeah, it's not a, a bad good idea. fucking decision. Uh, and poor decision number three: fight a cop after you've been pulled over. You're going to try to swing on a state trooper. I don't think so. Not a good idea. So, so do you got a number on this guy? I mean, he's 44, definitely drunk, driving 104 miles definitely per hour. Definitely drunk. Fast, fast in, <laughs> fast in the licorice. Fast in the uh, vodka. Fast in the vodka. Yeah, he oh, he is sauced. Um. I do have a number. It's it's sort of a preliminary number. I'm I'm also gonna wait to see what you say, and I think that after that we may need to 
I think um, it'll be consolidated. We'll have to come. We'll have to con- come together and consolidate or or meet in the middle somewhere. But so, what do you got on this one? So we got yeah. So I'll 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 count us down, and then we'll give our number. Okay. So three, two, one, eighteen. 18. Nuh-uh. No way. We don't even have to consolidate. Yeah, we fucking figured 18, it out, dude. I, this, this is totally we, this is totally a Daciocho. Yeah, oh fuck this yeah, dude. This is for sure an eighteen. Is that how you say I that? Mean, in, yeah, in the old Daciocho Spanish. Yep. You so, know, I was kicked out of Spanish class, right? You were kicked out of Spanish. Yeah. I remember that. Miss, uh, did Miss Bruja get you? Which oh, yeah, you? she pinched me hard, it was man. Miss Bruja, I think. Yeah. Which and actually, actually Bruja blame... means witch in Spanish, yeah, just so you guys know. Witch. No, but uh, honestly, shout out to Adam Wesner, uh, a avid listener of the show, uh, lead singer and rhythm guitar player for Sons of Leroy, uh, one of my greatest friends of all time. Uh, reaches back to you know the same time adam and i or uh, russ and i became friends you know back in middle school and uh, high school era and uh that guy he told me one day in spanish class spanish too in fact he goes you know what you should do today is beep like a robot every time she asks you a question now typically what you would do is respond in spanish uh when uh when the teacher asks you a question and instead i acted like uh a robot and she wasn't happy uh and I was already failing the class. I already had an F. So there really wasn't a whole lot of incentive for her to keep me in the fucking class. Um, I was a bad student. He was Espanol no-go, bro. Yeah, dude. Espanol <laughs> low grade. Yo, low fucking grade, bro. Espanol Espanol low grade. Um, so, Adam, thank you so much for getting me fucking kicked out of Spanish, too. Beep, boop. Um, and somehow, I don't know how this worked out. Um... I was admitted into Spanish three the next year. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I got kicked out like bad. the first three days of Spanish three. Uh, still kept the book. I sold it online. Uh, <laughs> shout out Elkhorn High School. Um, <laughs> sorry about your book. Not. Uh, it was your guys' idiot fault that put me into Spanish three when I didn't even pass Spanish two. So you made some dinero off this. I made some book. little dinero. The libro. The libro was sold and you made yeah, some dude. cash. Libro. It's a book. Is that a book? Yeah. All right. I like to comar. Does yeah. that eat? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I got something. You like to you like comida food. Uh, right? Yeah, I like to fucking. Me gusta eat. comida, amigo. Yeah, I like to cerveza. <laughs> yeah. Yo me gusta cerveza. <laughs> yeah, I like it a dude, lot. Your Spanish is great, bro. I think I'm doing all right, You're pretty man. Pretty good, dude. You've moved yeah. to Mexico now. All right. Yep. All right, so we've got an 18 Sound that loco. Don't even mess with that. All right, that concludes this episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, please like and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you prefer. And remember to hit the bell on YouTube to be notified when we release new content. Also, if you have any suggestions or ideas for future episodes, please send us an email at widrunkenhistory at gmail.com or head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Thanks again for listening, and remember as always, watch watch out for deer deer on your way home. home.